welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we are going to be looking at the case of the Crown on the application of Imam and the London Borough of Croydon. The citation for this case is 2023 UKSC 45. But before we begin this episode, I would like to take a moment to dedicate it to Devious Deviant, who left a five-star review of the show on Apple Podcasts. They asked when I will have a book coming out, and I'm sad to say that there are no current plans for a UK Law Weekly book, but who knows, maybe one day. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast and want to help spread the word, then leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice is the best way to do that. If you leave a written review on our podcast, then I will be sure to dedicate an episode to you as well. Anyway, this week on the podcast, we are going to look at how budget constraints can affect the legal duties of local authorities. The respondent in this case is Ms Imam, who has three children, and herself has to use a wheelchair because she is disabled. Back in 2014, she applied to the London Borough of Croydon, the appellants in this case, for assistance as a homeless person. This is covered under Part 7 of the Housing Act 1996, which makes provision for assistance to be provided to the homeless by local housing authorities. In particular, Section 193, Subsection 2, sets out the main housing duty to those with priority needs who are not intentionally homeless. Now, Croydon has provided Imam with temporary accommodation in the form of a three-bedroom house since 2014. But the local authority does accept that the property is not suitable, given Imam's disability, and furthermore that it is in breach of section 193 subsection 2 by not offering her a suitable alternative. Imam is on a waiting list for housing on a secure basis under part 6 of the Act. With that as the background, Imam brought a judicial review because of the way that she had been treated by Croydon and asked the court for a mandatory order so that she could secure suitable accommodation under Part 7 of the Housing Act. There were a couple of other submissions as well, but when the case got to the Court of Appeal, Imam was only granted permission to appeal on that ground. However, her appeal was allowed on the basis that the High Court had considered Croydon's budgetary constraints as a valid excuse for not complying with its statutory duty under Section 193, Subsection 2. The Court of Appeal held that it was for Croydon to demonstrate the reasons why a mandatory order should not be granted against it, requiring the authority to comply with its duty and provide Imam with suitable accommodation. Croydon appealed that decision to the Supreme Court, and that is where we pick things up. The justices began by noting a central fact about the legislation. The duty imposed by Parliament is not qualified in any way, by reference to available resources. In fact, any such duty would be undermined if resources were a regular factor considered by the courts, such that claims for mandatory performance were consistently rejected. Nevertheless, remedies are discretionary, and so mandatory orders should only be granted when that course of action is justified. Any court should take into account a range of factors, including other possible remedies, whether it is possible for a party to comply with a mandatory order at all, and the impact that a mandatory order would have, including the impact on resource management by the authority. In this case, when Croydon is in breach of its statutory duty under section 193 subsection 2, 
the burden is on the authority to justify why a mandatory order should not be made by the court to ensure compliance. The problem is that in the evidence provided, Croydon has not done enough to explain the situation as regards appropriate properties that it might have in its housing portfolio, so that the court can consider whether a mandatory order is needed to make one of those houses available for Ms Imam. An important distinction should be made between the provision of housing under Part 6 of the Housing Act and the duty to provide housing under Part 7. Whereas Part 6 involves the use of discretion, the fact that Part 7 represents a statutory duty means that priority should be given to meeting those latter obligations. The implication of Parliament imposing a statutory duty is that an authority will have resources available to comply with that duty. A court does not have the power to absolve an authority from such a duty just because it claims that it does not have sufficient resources. As part of her arguments, Imam argued that a mandatory order should be made even if Croydon did not have any suitable property, so that the authority would be required to go out and purchase such a property instead. The Supreme Court rejected this argument in part because a local authority has greater democratic accountability than a court and also has greater expertise in this area. If such a mandatory order was made, then it would have the effect of diverting funds away from other areas and would effectively mean that the court, as an unelected body, is directly interfering in the way that an authority carries out its budget allocation. With that in mind, the justices dismissed the appeal and remitted the case back to the High Court where it could be considered with fresh evidence. However, before they concluded, the justices also took the opportunity to discuss the factors that a court can consider when applying a remedy in this sort of case. For a start, local authorities often have a contingency fund that is used to deal with unexpected expenditures. If Croydon has such a fund, then it should explain why that money could not be used to help resolve Ms Imam's problem. Secondly, the court should also think about how long an authority has been in breach of its duty and yet failed to take action. Thirdly, a judge should consider the impact on the person affected. If the impact is not that serious, then the imposition of a mandatory order will be less likely. Having said that, the fourth factor is that if it does not appear like the local authority is actively moving to rectify the situation, then that should make a court more likely to lean towards making a mandatory order. Finally, a court should also have regard to other people who might have an equal or higher priority claim, although that should not ignore the fact that the authority remains under a duty to provide a service instead of a mere discretion that it might have. Overall, I think that what makes this case so interesting is the way that it intersects the line between law and politics so perfectly. We start off with Parliament enacting a legal duty on local authorities that they have to abide by. Then we end up in Croydon, where political factors like budgetary constraints mean that the duty cannot be fulfilled. Ultimately, a claimant who has been affected by this failure goes to court to force Croydon to act in accordance with the law. In theory, this should all be pretty simple. The law is clear in this situation. However, it is not because the court is not just simply enforcing the law. Instead, a mandatory order, or even an order for damages, 
politicises the court by impacting the budget of a local authority and realigning its priorities. This is why the decision of the Supreme Court looks so different to the factual investigation undertaken by the High Court. The justices were interested in the property portfolio of Croydon as well as its discretionary budget, whereas these things were not considered at first instance. They knew that if they were going to intervene in the political arena, then that intervention should be based on all the relevant evidence. To what extent the court should intervene at all is an interesting jurisprudential question. On the one hand, the court should arguably just enforce the legal duties of local authorities and let the political consequences fall where they may. This would certainly be a surefire way to help people like Ms. Imam, who are in a particularly vulnerable position. On the other hand, perhaps the court should not intervene at all, or at least not make mandatory orders. This would have the advantage of not politicising the courts, and elected officials would have to accept the consequences of their actions at the ballot box. Ultimately, the Supreme Court has tried to thread the needle here by saying that while courts should be wary of making mandatory orders, it is up to the local authority to justify, based on the evidence, why such an order should not be made. That may have the effect of leaving nobody especially satisfied, but it does seem like a sensible approach given all the circumstances. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. A quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. This week in the newsletter, I had a roundup of my top 10 Supreme Court cases in 2023. If that sounds like something you're interested in, then do check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. All that remains is for me to wish you all a happy new year, and I will be back with more episodes in 2024. But for now, bye!